0: Let's go, girls. From
1: New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are fabulous knows no limits now it's time for you to expand your boundaries here are sandra beck and linda franklin
2: Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we've got a neat show today. We are going to be visiting with Lance Secretan and he's got so many different, um, God, he's got his finger in so many different pies. It's a lot of fun to have somebody on the show like this. Linda, one of the things that is so exciting about having a guest like this is that we can talk about anything under the sun, I feel.
0: Uh, yeah, he's certainly done everything. I'm looking at all his accomplishments, and, um, you know, yeah, he's quite a guy. And I see that um, he spent, he uh, splits his time between Colorado and Ontario, and I want to ask him where in Ontario, because, you know, that's my home ground.
2: <laughs> that is, that is. Well, without further ado, let's bring Lance Suckertan on the show today. Uh, Lance, welcome to the show.
3: Great to be with you. Thank you.
2: Yeah, you got two girls from your old stomping grounds. Linda, go ahead. No, I see that you split, you split your
0: time between Colorado and Ontario, and I'm just wondering in Ontario where because I'm a, I'm a Toronto girl.
3: Well, I'm from Caledon. I don't oh, know, you are know you? where that is, but it's yeah, northwest of Toronto yes. in the country.
0: Yes. And it's a beautiful country.
3: Yeah, it is gorgeous. God's country.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm in New York now and have been here for like. I guess most of my life now, but I still go back to Toronto uh, all the time, and it's um, it's a beautiful city, and and Canada wonderful.
3: Yes, and then the other half of my time, I'm in Colorado up in the mountains, so I'm a passionate skier. So, uh, wow, that's God's country too. So God has actually has two parts of it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> two places.
0: Well, you're you're like a the- man. <laughs>
2: So I want to well, I want to jump right in because I just I have so many questions um for Lance and I've got in my hand here two of your books The Spark The Flame and the Torch and then I also have The Love Story an intensely personal memoir and you know I wanted to ask you when you wrote the memoir you know um your wife, Trisha and you have been, you know, together before you were married, and you've, you guys have been together a long time, and to write your love story in a book means that your marriage is hopefully pretty solid. What do you think the key was to keeping you guys together for so long?
3: Well, I think it's all the obvious things. It's compassion and caring, integrity, trust, loyalty, love, passion, pretty well all those things that... Anybody would recognize as the gifts of a great romance, but then you have to add hard work don't you to it and uh, it often amazes me when people have relationships they they have this extraordinary first experience together where they can't they 're falling over themselves to uh, inspire and uplift each other, and then it sort of goes downhill <laughs> you know five years later they're of those people are in divorce courts, and don't you think it's just because they stopped trying?
2: Oh, I do. I mean, I'm one of the 50% that went through the divorce court. And, you know, I wasn't willing to leave any stone unturned, you know, to to save my marriage. And I had two small children, but it takes two people to want to work at it. One person can work and work and work, but if the other doesn't want to stay or, you know, that that was the thing that I had. I'm I'm a never say die dog with a bone girl. Linda, you'll back me up on that.
0: No, absolutely, and I guess I am too, because i 've known my husband now, my husband, for uh, since I was nineteen years old, and we 're still together many, many decades later um, we didn't We lived together for a very long time before we got married, but um, so you know I think that was the escape route if we if we needed it, it was there, uh, and then we decided to get married and didn't get married until nineteen eighty eight but um we've been so now it's what twenty seven years that we've been married so yeah, but you know people change so much um you know through the through the decades uh it's really, really hard to to you know to keep that all together because um you certainly aren't the same people that you were when you, when you met, that, that's for sure.
3: No, but I think you, you may have uh, identified a secret, which, of course, will shock a lot of people. But the idea of living together for a number of years before you get married is, I think, a really good idea. We did that, too, nine years. And if you don't know someone after nine years of living together, you're probably never going to
0: <laughs> you would think so, right? No, well, I, I'm I'm am I'm more than nine years and and I'm over twenty before we actually we actually tied the knot and it's the funniest thing because when we went to actually get married we had to sign in in the Jewish faith a ketubah, and my and my husband could not get his his hand down to the paper. He was shaking like a leaf uh, to actually, you know, sign the certificate. So, no, I, I, I think even after 20-some-odd years, he, he was still pretty nervous.
3: Still nervous, yeah. Well, I'll <laughs> tell you a funny story. So my wife and I noticed that um, people we knew who lived together and then got married, many of them, their their new relationship, their marriage, fell apart. They'd been just fine when they were living together. But as soon as I got married, everything went off the rails. So we said, let's never do that. And then uh, I knew that her mother would love for us to be married. So I planned a secret wedding in in Bermuda. And uh, a few weeks before um, we went, I broke my leg in nine places in a skiing accident. So I told my wife, Trish, that she should come with me and that she needed to carry my bags because I couldn't do it. I was in crutches and so I sprung this whole thing on her when we arrived and proposed to her. We were in a taxi actually going somewhere, and I, I gave uh, some music to the driver and said, please play these songs. And while they were playing, I proposed to her in the back seat of this taxi, and I said, would you marry me? And she said, no. <laughs> no, we've already agreed this. You know, it's no problem. Uh, no, no, we, we're not going to do that. No, I said, really, <laughs> really, would you marry me? And she said, oh, okay. And I, She said, when? And I said, well, they day after tomorrow, someone <laughs> out of the taxi. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun experience.
0: Yes. Well, what did you think the difference was, you know, while you're living together and then the marriage? Because people ask me all the time, so you were living together for so many years and you had, you know, a good relationship. Why did you decide to get married? And, you know, why? I, didn't even, I don't have a good answer.
3: No. and I, 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 My answer was because I think uh, my wife's mom... Would yeah really old-fashioned you know and just wanted that to, uh, and and it was no big deal for me to do that I wanted to do it for her too we had a great mm. relationship with with her mom but I think that what happens sometimes is that people think that piece of paper lets them off the hook they don't have to try anymore because mm. it's a con- contract and you know when you're living together of course the laws have all changed now so this is sort of irrelevant but I, it depends state by state because there are different rules for what cohabitation uh, means and what the legal results of that are, and so on. But technically, you're just people living together under the same roof, and then when you get married, you're not so much.
0: Well, Sandra, you don't have that ex- experience, but may, maybe
3: you will. Maybe your answer is, is
0: living together with somebody before you, you know, before you decide to get married.
2: Well, that's like, you know, it's funny you say that because I, you know, I was married Lance for 10 years and I had a little baby and a toddler when my ex-husband left me for somebody else. And so it took me a good probably five years to kind of recover from that. And then I'm busy building my business and raising my children. And the question I have now, though, and I'll pose it to each of you, um, is, why get married at all like why would I ever marry someone you know you guys lived together for 20 and 9 years respectively I was married I had my children I don't intend to have more children why would I even get married
3: Linda I'll go to you or Lance why would you uh, have a new romantic relationship do you mean
2: No, I could see having a romantic relationship or a boyfriend or, you know, things like that. Because, like, you know, and I'll be honest, Lance, like, when I read your book, like, there were parts of it that really made me cry because I thought, you know, I will never have this. Like, I will never... I don't even know if I could let myself have these things. Like when I read your wedding vows, like that was the thing that like unglued me. And maybe I have all these repressed things that, you know, are in there. But there's part of me that just looks at this and go, well, I'll never have this. Or why would I even get married again?
3: You know, one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I believe everyone can have this. And more than that, I think everybody deserves this.
2: Linda, we have about two minutes to break. What do you say?
0: Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm a big fan of marriage, but I am a big fan of having somebody in your life that, that you love and you can share your, 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 your lifetime together. Um, you know, and, and I don't think it's a big deal, but, you know, I really believe that. You know, and you have to watch your words because you say, "I don't think I can," and you know it'll never happen. And you know that you don't you don't want to say words like that because it, you know it, it interferes with your psyche in there. So yes, everybody there when you're ready, someone will come that you will adore, and you'll know when it's time. You don't force it.
2: You 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 just feel it. But I find it interesting that both you and Lance, you know, you took the twenty year marriage route. Lance took the nine year marriage route. You know, I'm I'm not twenty years old anymore, so not that I'm old or anything, but you know, I think it's interesting when, you know, you've got two long term happily married people here and then, you know, kind of one divorced single mom. I think there's a lot of people who fall into my boat, whether you're second career, second family, second marriage, you know, second whatever where does that you know where does that line draw now i need to take us to commercial break but i i i loved lance's book um and so i want to talk more about it if you guys would like to get copies of this book his name is lance secretan that's spelled s-e-c-r-e-t-a-n the books are the spark the flame and the torch that's the inspire self inspire others and inspire the words and the other the world sorry and then there's the love story that intensely personal memoir you want to get a copy of it because it really does tug at your heartstrings when we come back from the break we're going to talk a little bit more about inspiration we're going to talk a little bit more about inspiration in the second half of our lives this is Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin for Powered Up Talk Radio with Lance Secretan. we'll be back after the break
1: we've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages
4: Time and change are accelerating, making it increasingly difficult to gracefully go with the flow. Women Change the World presents conversations with featured guests about changes in their lives and how that change has created new and positive opportunities. Women Change the World with your host, Dr. Beth Golden, Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central here on toginet.com. We all know that change can knock you off course. And Dr. Beth's show and practices focus on revealing everything that's right with you. This information will help you make choices that align your true nature and set you along your path of least resistance. As Dr. Beth says, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. For more on Dr. Beth and her show, go to drbethgolden.com. That's drbethgolden.com. Women change the world. With your host, Dr. Beth Golden, Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central, here on toginet.com. It's
5: Merging first began carrying passengers, everyone was treated to first-class accommodations. Caviar and sandwiches were presented on porcelain plates with beverages served in crystal. Flying was truly a special event as passengers wore suits and evening dresses. What do you call a person who is afraid to fly? An aeroacrophobic. The airlines required stewardesses to be unmarried and many were nurses as well. To be a pilot was respected and revered. What do you call a person who chooses a career based on the glamorous image it conveys? A modoc. A typical flight in those days from London to Singapore would cost over $17,000 today and take eight days. What's another word for jet lag? Dysrhythmia. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app to Funny for Words.
1: We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin.
2: Hey, ladies. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and this is Powered Up Talk Radio. And this is our guest, Lance Secretan, and he's written a couple books: the Spark, the Flame, and the Torch. He's also written the Love Story book, which is his intensely personal memoir that made me cry. Now, when we went to break, um, we talked a little bit about you know kind of marriages that that last the test of time, and some of the secrets for that what i find interesting lance because i'm i'm you know like a a little conservative country girl at heart and i always believe that the man leads the family well i'm finding that not to be true as a single parent and i look at you as a leadership expert and you know you you write this book on leadership to inspire yourself and inspire others and inspire the world how have you translated that to the success in your marriage
3: well i think that the The search that I've been on, actually The Spark of Flame and the Torch was my 15th book and so I've written a lot about leadership and I've come to the realization that leadership is never going to be found we will not be able to uh, teach it or discover it you will realize that leadership is broken everywhere whether it's Wall Street or Washington or uh, healthcare or education or the Roman Catholic Church or the police or wherever you look Leadership is broken, and yet we spend $170 billion a year on leadership development, and there are 244,000 books on Amazon.com about leadership. So when I wrote A Love Story, well, let me back up. When I wrote The Spark, The Flame, and The Torch, that book is about inspiration because that's what we need to replace leadership. We're not looking for more leadership. We're looking to be inspired. What we're looking for from our political leaders, from our CEOs, from each other, from every part of life, we're looking to be inspired. A Love Story is, of course, not a business book, and it was never intended to be, and that wasn't my plan. But what I learned as I, after I wrote it, really, was that the reason why leadership doesn't work is because we teach it like engineering. And if you were to ask people, well, what what are the characteristics of leadership? You would get an answer like, well, good decision-making, motivating the team, building the team, having a good strategy, having vision, you know, all those good things. Well, if you were to take those into a romantic relationship, none of those would really be the things you'd be looking for. If you ask what is it that's special about a romantic relationship, it would be compassion, integrity, trust, love, engagement, romance, and in other words, the ingredients of a love story. Why do we have two different systems, one at home and one at work, for how we inspire people? Because actually in a romantic relationship, the rule for both parties is how can we inspire each other more every day? And that's the same rule we use in the business world. So what I've learned along the way is actually it's really about building inspiring relationships. What is a marriage? It's an inspiring relationship. When it's no longer inspiring, we leave them. And that's true of everything else. If we like a movie we and we're inspired by it, we'll stay to the end. If we're not inspired by it, we'll leave. If we have a restaurant that's our favorite because it inspires us, we'll keep going there. As soon as it doesn't inspire us, we'll leave. If we see a rose we find fascinating and beautiful and inspiring we'll smell it if it doesn't do that for us anymore we don't do it anymore so inspiring relationships is the answer to just about everything that goes on in our lives including at home and at work
0: boy you're so right and uh you're you're
3: we've lost leadership that's
0: for sure i mean if we if you Cropped the debates last night. I mean, we're in a very (laughs) sad state of affairs. And if if, if this is, you know, what our country's come to, we really have to do a 360 and, and, you know, start rethinking everything.
3: You know, it it, is inspiring to yell at people
0: no it's not inspiring to yell at people it is not inspiring to lie to people it's not you know inspiring to 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 tear people down and you know and that's where we are i mean if we can, it's you know it's it's just um you know, I think that there's so many changes coming and they're coming so fast, I don't think people uh, can actually, you know, grasp them because um, what was is not there anymore. And if you're trying to hold on to what was, I think you're going to be very sorely disappointed because and, and, it, it, it's gone. Well, and I think the
2: hardest thing for me, and you know, I know I'm a little different than you guys, you know, because I am a single mom with two kids. The hardest thing I found with this is, you know, and Lance, I really try to lead my family with integrity and authority and honesty, and you know, Linda's a great friend to me, supporting me in in trying to raise two little boys on my own. The hardest thing that I found when sitting and talking to my kids was that they're yelling at each other, they're insulting each other, at times they're calling each other names, they're espousing, like our leadership so far in these these arenas are espousing everything as a parent I stand against. And so how do you, can you take that dynamic and change it? Or is this just something that, that's the way of the world and we're going to have to live with? Like, you know, you are, like, you know, according to your website, the 26th most influential executive coach in the, the world. So how do you turn something like that around?
3: Well, I there are a couple of things. One, um, get rid of the television.
2: I haven't had a television
3: for 25 years, and I think it was Thoreau who said, you know, if you, if you show me a, a train wreck, I get the concept. I don't actually need to get into a train wreck and watch it. And I think that that's part of – there are toxins in our lives, and we need to get rid of them, whether it's in our food or in our air or whether it's the media that, that comes at us. And I think that's one thing. We can get our information in lots of different ways, and they don't have to be toxic. The other thing, though, is this. I think with your boys – we all have the right to have a belief or to have an opinion. But we need to have that opinion in a way that inspires the other person. So if I disagree with you, you know, the message I would give to the boys is say, say what you want, but make sure the other boy feels bigger and smaller as a result of what you just said. You're entitled to your view, but don't make it personal. Make it so that both of you feel better as a result
2: of that exchange. I was just writing this down because I'm going to do this at dinner tonight.
0: No, you're, and you're a great mom. So I think you, I think uh, you do a lot of those things just innately. It just it just comes to you. So um, Lance, when you're inter- you know, you've interviewed so many uh, CEOs, and and I mean, I saw that your your interview with with uh, former President Clinton. When you're sitting down with somebody and you're asking them all these questions, can you tell if they're really if, if do they inspire you, or, uh, or do some of them not, but you have to go on and, and pretend that they did?
3: <laughs> well, yes, there's some of those aren't there, but I think also the question is whether they're authentic, and I think that that's what I'm looking for. If someone is authentically inspiring you, then you know what i try and do and i know i don't do it every day all the time but i try and do it as much as i can which is i want to know how do i inspire i can tell you i was working with a a group of ceos a while back and one of the ceos stood up there's about 30 of them one of them stood up in this uh, workshop we were doing And and just railed into me. He he said, you're just so full of it. This is never going to work in our company. You must be from California. There's all this woo-woo fluffy stuff and so on. He just went on and on and on. And then he sat down. And you could just cut the air with a knife. And this was a new client, so I thought, oh, this is a moment of truth. I'm either going to lose a client here or we're going to make a breakthrough. So I paused and I thought my head was racing. And eventually I said to him. His name was Tom Anderson. I said, Tom, I think I get what you just said, but could you say it again in a way that inspires me? He got up on his feet and he said, yeah, I can do that. And he did. Wow. We became great pals. We've been skiing together ever since. uh, And, you know, we've and everybody, of course, in the room let a big breath out Yeah. as we we crossed a bridge. But it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Why did you just say something to me that is personal, crushing, wounding, and hurtful? Do you expect to gain something from doing that?
2: Well, I think some of them do, yeah. I, I absolutely do. I worked in, you know, Disney and CBS and IBM and the military. And, yeah, I think sometimes people absolutely do intend to crush the people around them in order for them to feel successful and powerful and in control.
3: They are because it doesn't work, as you can see. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I love, uh, I tell people the story about when I was at an airport uh, in, in Pittsburgh and that there was a ground stop and uh, places a zoo. And I'm up at the counter and there's hundreds of other people, all our flights canceled and we're standing there. And this man is yelling at the staff behind the counter. And finally, he's exasperated. He puts his hands on his hips and he says, Do you know who I am? And the calm, employee comes out from behind the counter and says excuse me ladies and gentlemen this man doesn't know who he is <laughs> <laughs> and then i tell you a second story i was in boston and same thing because you know, i travel a lot this happens often i'm in boston and same thing all flights are canceled i'm standing in front of the person that's going to fix up my ticket and i'm saying well you know my nine o'clock flights canceled the 12 o'clock flights full. so now i'm on a three o'clock flight so I say to the person in front of me, look, uh, this this is a really tough day for you. You must be having a really hard time here. Uh, is there anything I can do for you? they um, you know, thanks to you, I've got all this time on my hands. So, um, can I get you a coffee or water or something? Make your day a little easier. And she looked at me like I was an alien. <laughs> and then she said, No, no, no. Honestly, this is this is just regular stuff for me. It's no problem. But thank you for saying that. It's really kind of you. And then she looked. At me and said, Hey, but you know what I can do for you? I can put you in business class. Yeah. I said, Thank you. I need to take us. My two experiences, you know, do you think you can change the world by yelling at people and insulting them, or do you think you can change the world by inspiring them?
2: By inspiring them in kindness and showing them grace. I need to take us to commercial break. We're visiting today with Lance Secretan. He's got many books out, but the two books that were on my desk and Linda's desk recently are his love story, that intensely personal memoir, as well as The Spark, the Torch. I'm sorry, The Spark, the Flame, and the Torch inspire yourself inspire others inspire the world i like threes i just think threes are magical so thank you that uh lance when we come back from the break we're going to talk more with lance secretan about some of these secrets that leaderships know that we can even apply to our own marriages and our own relationships we'll be back again after the break
1: We've got lots more powered up with Rebecca and Linda Franklin after these messages.
0: This is for all you girls
2: about 42. Tossing pennies into the fountain of youth.
6: Have you heard? We have a book titled
5: The Art of Doing Nothing by Veronica Bien in our guest room by the bed. I'm telling you, this book is an impossible challenge. In the state of Maine, it's said that someone who bottoms chairs for a living is lazy, presumably because one's bottom is perpetually in the chair. To sozzle means to laze around or perform a task in a sloppy way. The word is mainly found in New England. A quote from 1848 describes the term as used by housekeepers in certain parts of Connecticut to refer to a lazy person. Other words for lazy people are abbey Lovers, Scabberlatchers, and slaughter-pooches. To me, the ultimate love lolly is someone who is too lazy to even fake like they're working. It's
3: words you never
5: work. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word.
1: We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's some more Powered Up with Beck and
2: Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we're visiting with Lance Suckertan today. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about um, was... When you are in a leadership situation or you're not the leader at the table and Lance, I find this happens a lot in technology, especially I'm sure it's in other industries. I just can't speak on that behalf. But, you know, they've got the, the the gorilla that's beating his chest and then you've got the guy that's slamming his hand on the table and they're all arguing. And sometimes it reminds me of my kitchen table with like my dad and my two boys and me. And, you know, it's all about, you know, loudness and who can say it the loudest or who can who can be heard. And, Sometimes I find that people mistake my kindness uh, for a weakness because a lot of times I'll just, I won't jump into that fray. I'll just wait until they kind of exhaust themselves and get themselves into a snit. And when they're done, then I'll speak. And And a lot of times it is the voice of reason. It is the quiet voice um, that just has to have patience in order to be heard. And that's something that I think, You develop over time, or is it the way we made? I like it because it works.
3: Well, I think that we're uh, um, surrounded by what effectively is violence, whether it's in our language, for example. We talk about being blown away and nuking people and destroying the competition. All of these metaphors that come from war. And we've done a lot of work in, in my organization where we've researched this and found that that actually is toxic, I mean, literally. In other words, we are releasing stress hormones in our body, cortisol and so norepinephrine and so on, which are actually uh, attacking our immune system and making us sick. So people who live in those environments are actually ill. And then there are people, on the other hand, who are feeling a sense of being uplifted in much of their lives. These are people, for instance, that never get sick at work because they're inspired. And it's quite standard isn't it that people who hate their work or hate the people they work with are' always sick the people who love what they do are never sick why is that clearly there's a connection here we just I, th- I hope that you will always be like that because you will win that conversation you can't sustain the violence forever and it doesn't work anyway
0: uh, lance are you seeing a difference in the leadership uh, qualities of, of men and women or Or is it just more about the actual individual and not uh, because of their sex?
3: I think it's more about the individual. And one of the depressing things I find in the corporate world is that women try to be more like men. And I think that's disappointing because I think the great gifts of the feminine energy, I don't mean of women, but of the feminine energy, is how effective that is uh, if you think about, you know, cheryl sandberg and people like that who have great power in their gentle way of leading and we need to copy that not the other way around it's not a football game
0: yes i agree and i see it now but you know my first career was uh, over 20 years running a trading department on wall street so (laughs) you know that it doesn't get rougher than that but um i'm Right. And you know, and I, I guess I liked it at the time, but I certainly my male energy was rampant, you know, and that because yeah. you ha- I, as a woman you had to be heard. But you know, one yeah. of the CEOs that I really like now, and I want to see if you if you feel the same way, is Howard Schultz at Starbucks.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think, and Warren Buffett, I think too, is, yes. is uh, in the same same space, and. You know, some wonderful stories about Howard Schultz, about how he's been a champion, for example, for the rights of his employees. Yes. Even though many of the board members have pressed him to remove, for instance, the health benefits for hourly workers and so on, and he's refused. And he said, you know, if it comes to that, you need to leave the board. Now, that's a, that's a courageous choice.
0: Oh, yeah. A man
3: with a lot of principles.
0: Yeah, no, and, and you know, he's 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 doing a wonderful job and now he's doing all these little uh videos of of inspiring people around the country. I mean, you know, that that's what it's all about is 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 inspiration. People need that because uh you know, when when you as you say when you turn on the TV, you you're just not getting inspired unless you're watching Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, <laughs> which I do most Sundays.
3: Well, you know, the thing, too, is that the little gestures, whether they're knowing and even if they are, in a way, um, showmanship, it doesn't really matter. There's a wonderful story about Howard Schultz, how he all the mugs and stuff that he sells in the store, he he realized that they're all made in China, and he thought to himself, surely this is something that we can make in America, is it? We can't make mugs. We have to go to China for them. And he went to a, a disused factory in Ohio, That had been shut down for years and years, and repurposed it, and hired 300 people. And all the mugs that are sold now in Starbucks are made in Ohio. And that's that may or may not be a big deal that he gave 300 people a job, but more than that, it's a story that inspires me to buy coffee at Starbucks.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, You know, he's so good to his employees, and and they like working there, and they're well taken care of, and you know, it, it works. I don't know why more CEOs can't see that. you know that 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 is what going because forward, that's what, <laughs> that's what we need.
3: Cowboy movies.
2: That's what we need. Or we just watch too much junk. Um, you know, one of the things that I do, Lance, that doesn't make me very popular, you know, this Los Angeles, the television capital of the world, is I shut the TV off. Like, I shut I shut it off when my dad leaves. My dad lives with me. He's 82 for part of the year, and the other time he's in Buffalo, so he's kind of a snowbird. And when he's here, um, we do get direct TV, so he can watch his history channel and the bio channel, all the things that he loves, and that's great. Right. But I shut the TV off when he's not here. And the kids are, you know, they don't know any different because I've always done that. It's not like it's anything new. So when grandpa leaves, the TV goes off. And, um, I look at what's available and what their friends and their peers between like dance moms and these just stupid garbage shows that personify the worst of humanity. And I look at this like self-fulfilling prophecy because this sets expectations like my expectations were set by the Brady Bunch. I thought every problem was solved in 20 minutes and things would be fine. Um, But I look at my kids generation now going, they're learning that people fight people backstab people you know it's our media too that's fueling you know it's the chicken and the egg which comes first people's desire and then the media fuels it or does the media start it and it increases desire it's you know one or the other but i really worry about our next generations in our coming years because this is a steady part of the american diet
3: it is but it's up to us isn't it it's it's, we can't sort of blame the, the things that are in our environment. When I'm running workshops or coaching, I often ask people who their heroes are. And they tell me, a lot of them, my dad or my mom. Now, if I ask them about that, they'll say, well, my dad was, uh, had high integrity. He was truthful, honest, authentic, genuine, loving, great human being. They wouldn't say if he was the hero, well, he was rough, he was uh, aggressive, forceful, yelling loud. They wouldn't say that. That wouldn't be a hero. In other words, our heroes aren't those people. There are lots of them around, but they're not our heroes. And so if we want to be heroes, this, I think, is the most potent teaching we can do for our kids. We just need to live a certain way, model the behavior we want to see in our kids, because they may look at the TV and see people being, you know, dying and beating each other up, but who are they looking to for their examples? They're looking to you, and that will be the impression that keeps with them for the rest of their lives.
2: Well, it's yeah, funny you said that, because I was thinking about my dad going, okay, you know, who's one of the greatest people I know? And I think of Linda, you know, my co-host, you know, and... What do I admire about them? i I admire their honesty. I admire their integrity. I admire their dependability. I admire their their evenness. I think, Linda, I don't know how long we've been friends, but we've never had like a fight. We've disagreed on things. We've respectfully, you know worked through our and we're very different. in some ways, we're very alike. But one of the things I really admire about you, Linda, is that that evenness about you. I can count on you,
0: yeah. well, you know, I went. I don't know. I, it's just part of me that if I like you and I respect you and I'm inspired by you, then I'll do anything that I can to to keep that relationship going. And just, just like it, uh, working at relationships with, with spouses and people that you might be living with, it's the same thing with friends. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a working relationship. You can't take it for granted.
3: And it brings about the behavior you're looking for. If, if you are aggressive with someone they'll be aggressive in return if you are loving with someone they will eventually become like that too with you
0: yeah yes and you know i do know it all the time go
2: ahead <laughs> I just wanted to know, because this is a question that I, I, I think about this a lot, why is it so much easier to be polite and kind to a stranger than it is to be polite and kind to the people we live with every day? I understand taking it for granted, but... How is it that we give coworkers gifts we agonize over for a, you know, stupid secret Santa, and then for our spouses, we're like, well, here's a gift card, or here's some money, or here's whatever. You know, I look at that, and I'm like, is that human nature, Lance, or is that something that we've kind of grown accustomed to?
3: I think we just get numb. I think we just get unlinked from what reality and good practice tells us. My wife and I, in 30 years, never had a fight. But, but like you said, we, we disagreed on things, but we never had a fight. But when we would get to that point, you know, where um, there's, a, there's a tension in the conversation, it's not going off the rails or anything, but you can see that there's clearly a disagreement going on here, a, a, a friendly one, but it's strong, she would stop and she would say to me, treat me like a customer. Mm brilliant and you know what it did it just got me to halt and recalibrate reset and i would say you're absolutely right let me start over because i'd get passionate you know or excited about something and i'd start uh, you know scaling up the noise and this is her, her beautiful way of bringing things down to the ground again and calming them down and reframing them so that we move forward on a much better basis. Now, that's, I think, something we could always do.
2: We're visiting today with Lance Secretan. If you liked what you heard so far, please check us out at PoweredUpTalkRadio.com. You can find us at Toginet, dot tcom and iTunes. And when we come back from the break, we're going to visit more with Lance Sekretan.
1: We've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. Do you want to get a contact high? Tune in for fun, inspiration, and motivation every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. Learn how to maximize your mojo and just say no to the status quo. Get inspired and motivated by a fun-loving coach who knows what it's like to get through this thing called life. With your high-on-life coach, Audra Irwin, each Friday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time and 12 noon Eastern,
5: offer wonderfully wild and wacky summer foods. From chicken fried bacon in Texas to Minnesota spaghetti and meatballs on a stick. There is something about dining at the fair that can make anyone an Opsomaniac or a person who is driven to the point of madness by food. State fairs are famous for their lover or food with no nutritional value. The California State Fair boasts fried Krispy Kreme chicken sandwiches. That's fried chicken and Swiss cheese tucked into a Krispy Kreme donut served with a side of honey sauce. At the Iowa State Fair you can enjoy a hot beef sundae. That's a big scoop of mashed potatoes over roast beef, covered with gravy, sprinkled with cheddar cheese, and garnished with a cherry tomato to look like a Sunday. What's another word for messy food? Ma walla. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app to Funny for Words.
1: We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more
2: Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin. And our guest today is Lance Secretan. He's got a bunch of books out. You're going to want to look him up. He's got a website that is Secretan. C E. Oh, I'm sorry. S E C R E T A N. He's Secretan, and then there's so much more. So that's how you spell it. When we left for the break we were talking about Lance's comment about his wife and about fighting and I sure fought with my ex-husband and my kids sure fight but then I got to thinking what, what is a fight like where does it escalate from like argument to disagreement to fighting you know everything is on a scale and you know Lance you started to rattle off some things on break that the audience I think would really like to hear cuz I know I want to hear more about them What are the the criteria of in a relationship, whether it's at work or at home, that, that really quantifies what is a fight?
3: Well, a fight involves a winner and a loser. And that's a very bad place to be. So there are lots of ways of making another person lose. You can yell at them. You can have a personal attack. You can make yourself seem bigger by making the other person feel smaller you can turn a conversation that you're having about a fact into a personal attack which has nothing to do with the fact and you can also uh, do emotional damage to a person by undermining them in some way which is sort of like the passive aggressive behavior or the the flouncing or walking away those kinds of things where you're clearly or hanging up on the phone is another one of those things, which you know, you, you should absolutely never do. Hanging up on the phone is the ultimate insult.
0: Yeah, I mean, don't they say all the time, "Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy?" So, you know, when I was younger, I had I wanted to be right, so you know, that <laughs> that didn't lead down to very uh, good outcomes. But as I, you know, as I got older and my priorities changed, you know, now you just, you know, it's it's just not, it's not worth it. I mean, it, it's a very delicate balance because you don't want to feel that you're compromising yourself into something that you're, that turns into resentment but you know, I I just don't pay attention as much to the disagreements as I used to, and I think that that's a good thing. I just sort of let them go and say, well, it's a passing cloud. It, it's you know, it, it it'll it'll be gone in a few minutes.
3: Yeah, it's it's also trivial when you reflect on it.
0: Yes. Yeah, and right at this stage uh, of my life, I'll tell you with 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 no. Uh, I, no question that I want to be happy, and whatever you know, whatever that takes, I'm um, I'm there. I mean, happy happiness is, is is not overrated. It's just a wonderful place to be.
3: Yeah, I did my PhD thesis uh, on Egypt and Israel. I interviewed uh, uh, Begin and Sadat and the top 40 opinion formers in both Egypt and Israel, and I asked them, Why are you fighting? And then I uh, gathered all that research and I swapped it. So I gave all the research from the Israeli side to the Egyptians and vice versa. And, you know, when I asked them why you're fighting, here was the answer, basically. They said, well, they blew up a bus in the bus station in Haifa or Tel Aviv or wherever, and so we're going to get them back. It wasn't about the big picture, about, well, we're looking for a homeland or we want to exist safely in our uh, territory and those kinds of things. It was the last insult, and that's so typical of domestic violence and, and uh, argument, too. It's about the last insult. If you can get past that and say, you heard me, but I want to move beyond that now. And it's not about forgiving either, by the way, because when you forgive, you make someone wrong. You're right, so you're going to forgive them.
0: I never thought of it that way, but, you know, you're right. So No, I don't use the word forgiveness. I, I just say, you know, I just kind of... If I'm really upset, then I'm going to say what you said really hurt me. And he he looks at me like I'm crazy, and then he'll say, "Hey, I, I, it's not what I meant, and I certainly didn't realize that I was." So I think you you know, and you have to do it right at the moment. You can't do it like 48 hours later because they don't remember. But if you if you just stop dead in your tracks and just say, "Hey, you know that that what you just did really hurt me," then I, you know then hopefully they understand and maybe it won't happen again.
3: I think you, you just described it perfectly because the way I, I try to teach people is that when you have something that someone says that is wounding, the way to put it to them is to say, when you said this, it made me feel like this. And usually the other person will say, well, I didn't mean to make you feel like that. And you've now uh, disarmed the conversation, right? Yeah. And so now we can talk about how I feel as separate from the facts that we're trying to talk about.
2: Well, and I think you raised, like, you know, I would have loved to see you in some of my domestic violence classes because if you had, and this is about recovering from them, not how to be a domestic violence person, but um, if you had told me 10 years ago that it's just the phrase you wrote, it's about the last insult. When that happens and you don't react and you just move on it's amazing how it it changes you the the person who's being insulted but a person that you should be with would want to talk about your feelings like what Linda and you were just talking about but somebody that you shouldn't be with just keeps on with the insult or keeps on with the that you know you said a fight is where there's a winner or a loser like these all came really loud in my head with with the domestic violence marriage and that these things, like if I had known it's about the last insult, like that resonated with me to my core glance, because you're right, and there's still, you know, I, I co-parent with this person today, there's still insults hurled my way on a regular basis. Now, Linda's helped me see them as clouds to float by, and I don't get drawn in anymore to those things, and they really don't even hurt anymore, but it's about the last insult. that was perfect, whether it's it's peace in the Middle East or, or in our households. All right. All right. How, lo- how old are your boys? Uh, now they're 10 and 13. Oh, you haven't got long, have you? Well, <laughs> feels, uh, yeah, if you had asked me that this morning, it would be a whole different answer. But yeah, and I don't know. It, I think when you're in it, it doesn't go quick. But then maybe after it's over, it goes quick because, it, boy, it yeah. doesn't feel quick right now. You, did you ever have children, Lance?
3: Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's an up-and-down thing, isn't it? I mean, raising children's not a walk in the park.
0: No, it's, well, I, I only raised a puppy, but I don't have children. <laughs> no, you're raising a puppy and
3: me, let's be honest. I'm raising a puppy and <laughs> well, Sandra's my I, new daughter. I, I wish I knew then what I know now, because I would be a much better parent uh, if I was, equipped with the information that I have today. But it's funny, isn't it? We get to be parents when we are really immature, and now we're expected to be really good adults, and we're just not equipped for that. And by the way, where's the training? One of the most important things you can do in your life, and we get zip training.
2: Well, that's, you know, Lance, I have a unique perspective because I have, you know, my 80-year-old dad, and then, you know, there's me in my 40s, and then I've got my kids, you know, that are, are 10 and 13 right now, and it's always amazing to me that I sit here, and I really, truly do, and I go, why am I raising these kids, and he's not, or like when my mom was alive a couple years ago, it's like, why aren't babies given to grandparents? Like, like you know, I, I don't like to think that there's some kind of cosmic joke or mistake, but, boy, it sure feels like it sometimes that we have to repeat the same mistakes generation after generation.
3: Yeah, that's right.
2: Oh. <sighs> so i know well you just I, I i'm still chewing on this i keep going back to it's about the last insult and i just think you know your next book coming out should be for for narcissists and about the narcissists in the world that that are leading our our countries leading our industries leading our and i don't do you think you can fix one lance or do you think that they're just born that way and stay that way
3: Well, I think, no, I think everybody can learn, and I think it's our job to do the teaching. And I think, by the way, that, you know, it's interesting that quite a lot of this conversation has been about dysfunction and what do you do about it and how do you interact with it and so on. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if we spent an equal amount of time talking about how do we inspire people? What are the little things that we can do that make people feel better, bigger, more engaged, more in love with us? I mean, after all, what we're trying to do is make sure that everybody we connect to falls in love with us. The more we spend time on the things that we're discussing, the more we'll have more of those things. You know, I had a professor once who said to me, the more we talk about problems, the more problems we'll have, the better we'll get at them. The more we talk about solutions, the more of those we'll have and we'll get better at them. So let's focus our time on solutions. Let's focus our time on helping people to be inspiring and loving, as opposed to figuring out how to deal with psychopaths.
2: <laughs> well, then I think we have to have you back, Lance. I think we need to have part one and two. We have part part one that identified a lot of the things that are going on. We'll have to bring you back uh, to have um, you know our inspirational hour. What one thing do you think... People could start doing today, upon listening to this broadcast, that you would think would make the biggest impact in their lives.
3: Well, I think we need to tell each other we love each other. It's a stunning thing. It's so simple, and yet so hard for some people. I, I talked to a guy the other day, just two or three days ago, who told me that even on his deathbed, his dad could not tell him he loved him. Yeah, told him he told him I I love you, Dad and his dad in his very last breaths said, I you too.
0: Wow. This
3: is this is how hard it is for us. So you know what could one what people listeners do right now? As soon as you go home first person that opens the door at home, tell them you love them. When you go to work tomorrow morning, go up to the person that you spend most time with and say, I love you. I love working with you. I love what you do. I love how we look after customers together. I love this work. Watch their faces.
2: Lance Secretan, check him out at secretan.com. When you come back next week, we're going to have more guests like this. We're going to interview Dondi Dolan of The Five Elements. I want to thank you, Lance Secretan, for being an inspiration, for being uh, just a wonderful guest today. I had a great time, and I love you, and thank you for being here. I love you too, Linda. I love you. (laughs) Love is in the air. I love you
3: both, too. Thank you for being brilliant. It's been fun.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back next week with Dondi Dalin and the Fine Elements.